This podcast is a production of Journey, a church community inspiring people to live big. For more information, please visit cincyjourney.org. Hey, good morning. My name is Joe Merrick. I'm the lead pastor here at Journey, and I'm thrilled that you are here with us today. We're so excited that uh, you have joined us this morning, whether you've been around many times before or you're new, and especially if you're new, we want to say welcome and thank you for being here. We know it's not easy to come to a new place and navigate yourself around, and so we want to say thank you for your courage. Um, This time, I want to encourage you uh, to reach into the seat back in front of you and to get out one of these Connect cards. Uh, A Connect card is just a great way uh, for you to uh, give us some information. Um, There's address information, but also there's prayer requests, uh, decisions that you've made, other kinds of things that we would like to know about. And our desire is to have one of these for every family here. So we want to say thank you in advance for taking just a moment today and filling that out. Uh, Once you have that filled out, you can drop it in the offering bags that will come by at the end of our time together, or uh, there are baskets on the exits, uh, and so you can drop it there. Let me pray for us, and we'll jump in. Dear God, we're so thankful for this morning. We're so thankful for just this time of worship that we've already had. It was such a joy just to hear voices raised in praise to you. God, we sang of your mercy and your grace and your power and your love. And those are things we pray we all get to experience today. In your name we pray, amen. Um, Well, we got to enjoy just a wonderful Easter last week. It was so nice to have uh, people here and to celebrate uh, the resurrection of our Lord. And one of the challenges coming out of Easter was this series, to come back to this outcast series. And uh, this is a series that we can relate to. It's a series we can all relate to, especially if the idea of God or church is new to us. Because uh, we know what it's like to feel like an outcast. We know what it's like to be denied or rejected. We know what it's like to feel like we are on the outside looking in. And whether that's happened in a relationship or at work or at school or even if it's happened at the church. And especially if it's happened at that last one, I want to just say, I'm sorry. Because that's not God's heart for the church. It's not God's heart for us. To feel like we're on the outside of his grace and his love. To feel like we're on the outside of his compassion. Today, we're going to uh, look at some parables. Some stories that Jesus tells about lost things being found. Some stories that really reveal God's heart to us. Get, to get our minds kind of just in this framework this morning, I have just a, a short, cute video about a toddler who's lost something. He's lost his fork, and he can't find it, even though it's right there in his hands. Enjoy this for just a moment with me. My fork. My Where's, your, fork. Where's your fork? I don't know. You don't know? Wait over there. 
Where's your fork? Oh, no, no. Wait there. Wait there. Oh, no, no. Where's your fork? Oh, no, no. It's right there. Your hand. Oh, no, no. Mama. What? Mama, I fork. I see it in your hand. It's in your hand. That's good stuff. I love uh, the end. I find them, you know, after being told so many times. We know that feeling, right, of searching for something. Searching for something we know that should be there. Maybe um, we're not that cute when we do it. At least I'm not when I'm searching for something like some lost keys or uh, a lost wallet, an important document, a phone that I can't find. I usually have flames coming out my ears, right? And that feeling, that feeling when we've lost something that we know is really important, we really need it. We, that, that wallet, those keys, we've got to get someplace, that phone we need. And we have that, that feeling of panic kind of well up inside of us. And we're kind of turning the house apart. We're retracing our steps. steps. We're frantic. That searching feeling, that's exactly the feeling that Jesus is trying to tap into in these stories today. Um, I'm going to be reading from Luke chapter 15, verses 1 through 10 today. Now the tax collectors and the sinners were all gathering around to hear him. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they muttered amongst themselves. This man, this man, he welcomes sinners and he eats with them. And then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose that one of you had a hundred sheep and he loses one of them. Does he not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and he goes home and then he calls his friends and his neighbors together and he says, rejoice with me for the sheep that was lost is found. He says, I tell you in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Or verse 8. Or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and she loses one. Does she not light a lamp and sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends. She calls her neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost coin. In the same way, Jesus says, I tell you, there is rejoicing in heaven, in the presence of the angels, God, over one sinner who repents. Let's go uh, back up to the very beginning of this, uh, these verses, because it's not just important today what Jesus says, it's important who he says it to. 
verse 1. Now the tax collectors and the sinners were all gathering around to hear. But the Pharisees, the teachers, they muttered. This man welcomes sinners, welcomes tax collectors, and he eats with them. You see what's happening here? The religious leaders of the day, the Pharisees, the ones who are supposed to know right and wrong, the ones who are supposed to be the experts in the law, the ones who in many cases are making up many of the rules that their followers are supposed to do and follow, are complaining. And they're complaining about who Jesus is hanging around, who he is associating with. They're insulting him with who he's hanging around. And this, if you read through uh, the book of Luke, it's a theme that comes back again and again. Jesus, time and time again in Luke, is accused, rightly accused, of hanging out with sinners and tax collectors. Now, sinners, that's a fairly self-evident description. These were people who were bad news. These were the people who, if you were a good parent, you kept your kids away from. These weren't just minor sins that could be dealt with easily. These were people who had broken some kind of Jewish law, and they were pushed to the edge of society, and they stayed there. Then we got the second group, the tax collectors. This group of people that um, might not seem like a big deal to us today, but in Jesus' day, there was nothing lower. Now, the timing here is perfect. Last Tuesday was tax day. Let me just pause there. Nobody's running. Everybody was aware of that. That's good. I don't know if you got money back or if you owed money or you owed tax money to the government. My family, unfortunately, we owed some money. And uh, there was a mix-up, and we had to go see the accountant on Tuesday. There was some forms got filled out wrong, and so we had to get some things straightened out. In the conversation, it was It was friendly. I understood that he didn't really have control over the numbers and what we owed and all those kinds of pieces. But, you know, after I wrote the check, I didn't feel like asking him to dinner. Right? This guy wasn't going to be my friend. And yet, imagine this. The tax collector... um, isn't a third-party entity, the accountant in this scenario, isn't a third party. He's an agent of the government, but not just any government, not your government, a foreign government. A foreign government that doesn't care about your roads and your schools and your streets and all those good things that tax dollars are supposed to go to. They're just getting wealthy. And on top of all that, It is standard, customary practice that that person would take some amount on top of whatever got transferred to the government. He would keep that to kind of grow his wealth. Now, now imagine that he told you an amount and then you wrote the check 
You feel even less, right? Even less like this is a guy I want to befriend. Even less like this is the guy I want to invite over for the barbecue. Yet that's exactly what Jesus does. And in fact, he doesn't just say hi to them. He's not just cordial. He doesn't give them a nod as he sees them coming down the street. He invites them over. He, he says, let eat with me. It's like Jesus invited them over to the family barbecue, the, the one where you had to wear the t-shirt with the family name on it. That's what he does. And in this society, who you ate with was a big it was a way of saying this is a person I want to be associated with this is a person that's in my circle it was a lot like uh, the high school lunchroom on a grand scale every commentary and piece I read this week on this text said you can't overemphasize How important it was in this culture, in this society, who you ate with. So Jesus is eating with, socializing with people who aren't deemed appropriate. People who are uh, on the margins of society, people who are kind of pushed out, despised. And then these religious teachers of the day, they have their noses in the air and they're looking down at Jesus and these people that are around him and they begin to snicker. They begin to poke fun. They begin to accuse him. How can you really be such a good man? How can you really be such a good teacher and associate with people like him? Jesus responds with a story. A story about a lost sheep and a lost coin. Shepherd, he had a pretty good flock. A hundred wasn't bad in those days. So he could have lost one and uh, it wouldn't have bankrupted him. It wouldn't have been uh, so devastating But he loved his sheep, and so he leaves the rest in the open country. That's an interesting part of that story. And he loves that sheep so much, he runs after it. He searches until he finds it. Not some cursory search. Constantly calling, constantly looking. And the woman, the woman with the lost coin, now she's on the other end of the spectrum. She's poor. There's 10 coins, these 10 drachmas, as they would have been in Jesus' day, represented probably a day's wages. Some of the commentators, they speculate that this could have been maybe her dowry. The only thing that she had a real right in that day and age to own. She's lost a tenth of it. And um, she's searching and searching until she finds it. You see how Jesus is escalating the drama here? 
He's just he's raising the stakes with each story. And then in Luke 15, there's another story of something that was lost, a lost son. The second half of Luke 15. If you're not familiar with that story, it's probably the most famous of the lost parables. Uh, take, make a note to go and read it this week. It's great, great reading. Luke 15 starts in verse 11 or 12. I'll give you the short version here. A son pretty much steals uh, his father's wealth away from him, and he runs off to a foreign uh, city, a place that's further away, and he uh, spends it all on women and booze and parties, and then eventually it's all gone. And his friends have left him. He's on the street. He's alone. He's got no place to live. He's got nothing to eat. And at the lowest point that he finds himself, he says, you know what? I bet my dad's still pretty mad at me. But just maybe if I went there, he, or if I went home, he would give me a lecture, but then he would let me be one of the, kind of the lowest servants. Maybe he would let me be one of them, and that's better than this. So he walks home with his head hung low. In the next part of the story, is just beautiful. The father, uh, it's just a normal day for him, but every day he goes out and he's looking for his son to come home. And he sees this figure walking down the road and he runs to his son. And through the shock of his son, to the shock of his son, his, his dad says, I accept you fully. And he throws a party. He doesn't make him a servant. He's, he's a son. He loves him that much. Again, Jesus is raising the value, upping the ante in these stories. The shepherd and the woman, they waste no time in their search. They get after it immediately. The shepherd, he knows how pitiful the sheep is. It has virtually no defenses. It, ha- it has no um, uh, instincts to, to get away. No way to defend itself. He pours himself into the search. Like it says in Ezekiel thirty four eleven, I myself will search for my sheep. The lost coin is of such value to this poor woman, that she's in a whirlwind of activity, tearing apart the house. Ancient uh, homes were dark places. There was really no windows. They had maybe one small door. She could have got some light in, and she needed a candle just to see. And the floors, they were really dirt floors, and they were covered with straw to kind of make it a little bit nicer. And so when you lost something, it was notoriously hard to find it. And so you would sweep away everything, and the hope was that the coin was heavy enough that it would stay behind and you could find it easily. But if not, then you searched through all the straw, through every crack and crevice. In both stories, no effort was left undone. It was an all 
without search. And Jesus, Jesus is, is saying this is precisely how God feels about the outcast. This is exactly how God feels about those who uh, feel like they aren't worthy who, or are made to feel like they're not worthy. And this was a revolutionary thought because although the Pharisees even would have agreed that if a sinner truly repented and came back on their own volition to God, that God would accept them, this idea that God is out there searching and wanting to restore a relationship with people who are so far from him, these outcasts, these people on the edges, this is a completely new idea. then there's the time to celebrate. When the sheep is found, when the coin is found, both the shepherd and the poor woman, they throw a great party. They're so excited, they can't keep it to themselves. And almost as if uh, Jesus wants to make sure that these Pharisees, they don't miss the point, he adds verses 7 and 10. I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Verse 10. And in the same way, I tell you there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. What we have here, what we have here is a story that reveals the heart of God, how he feels about us toward his people. And what's remarkable, it's how, about, I'm sorry, about how God feels towards us. And in this scene, Jesus is accused He's accused of being around the wrong people. It's what he's getting in trouble for. It's what people are looking down at him about for. And what's remarkable is Jesus doesn't feel the need to defend himself, to correct them. He says, rather, you think I'm wrong to eat and befriend these people? If just one of them repents, if just one of them turns their life back around and, and goes toward God, heaven will rejoice. It will erupt. And you'll still be in the corner with your nose in the air. And that's all the satisfaction you'll ever get. As we begin this new series, it's really important we start to understand God's posture toward us. In this scenario, the easy thing to do, the thing that so many of us probably would have done, would be to hedge, to make some excuses, to say, you know, I was just, I was trying to help them out. I was trying to be an example. I was trying to do X. But Jesus doesn't do any of that. 
just tells these three stories, repeating the message again and again and again. God sees people differently than we do. He doesn't give up on the fact that they need to change. He doesn't give up on the fact that that there needs to be repentance. But he also understands, he understands that um, the way they, that what they need more than judgment or another lecture is they need to experience God's love and grace firsthand. That's exactly God's expectation of us. That we would be people who extend God's love and grace. That every time those thoughts of self-righteousness stir up in us, every time the thought comes into our minds that I'm better than them, that we push that to the side, we push that to the side, and we extend grace and love just like he extended to us. In this story, the story is in the Bible as a welcome and a warning. Two messages to two groups of people. To the outcast, it's a welcome. To those who feel like they're on the margins, they're on the outside looking in, to those who feel they've been snubbed or rejected. This story, this message from Jesus should be heard as a welcome for the picture that God is is drawing for us is one where God is searching for us, not with frustration and judgment and anger, but he's searching for us with open arms and a smile and a hope that we will come to him. To the Pharisee, it's a warning. Now, we don't like to call ourselves Pharisees. We're more sophisticated than that. We know that that's not a good thing. But if we hold harsher judgment in our hearts towards people than God holds, there's not much difference. These parables are a warning. They're a warning to those feelings inside of us to see those around us with God's true eyes of grace and love. Today, as the band comes and plays a last song for us. My prayer for all of us is that we experience God's relentless pursuit of us. This story, like I said, it's a welcome and a warning, two messages to two different kinds of people. And my challenge for you today is what to do with this material, what to do with this story is to pick. Which audience are you today? Are you here today and you just, you needed to hear 
You needed to hear Jesus say to you, you know what, I am coming towards you with my arms wide open, with a smile on my face, not judgment, but hope. That hope that your life would change, that hope that you would come and restore that relationship with me. Or did you need to hear the warning? The warning that too many times you harbor more judgment for others than God does. As you think about your last week, your last month, you can identify some situations, some scenarios where that was true. Where that bit of Pharisee kind of welled up inside you. Did you need to hear the warning? This is God sees things differently than that. Would you ask God just to change your heart about those situations? Let me pray for us. God, today I want to pray for our eyes. First off, to the outcast. To those who today, for whatever reason, they feel outside. God, my prayer is that we see ourselves the way you see us. That we're not too far gone like other people told us we were. That our life isn't too messy like we think it is. That when you look at us, you see hope You see a new life. You see a new way. God, just burn that image into our minds of you coming towards us with your arms open and a smile on your face. God, to those of us who needed to hear the warning, I pray for our eyes again. Pray that we begin to see the world the way that you see it. Grace and love. Change our hearts for those scenarios, those people that we've said, you know what, I'm, I think I'm better than them. Maybe we don't say that out loud, but we at least think it in our minds. Those people where judgment kind of wells up inside of us. We hold more judgment than you do. God, forgive us of that. Give us new eyes to see. In your name we pray. Thank you.